what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol, zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For, the podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Bishop T.D. Jakes. But it brought attention to an, it, the underbelly of this country in a way that I have never seen, not even in the 60s. Really? No, because uh, in the 60s, you did not see that many white people marching with black people about the causes of the 60s. Mm. The first time I saw that, I cried. Mm. I was hardened by the fact that we were heard in a way that an abused child is hardened by the fact that somebody believed them. Mm. And that's what that said to me. You believe me. Time magazine called Bishop T.D. Jakes America's best preacher. The New York Times called him one of the nation's most influential preachers. He is the founder of the Dallas-based megachurch, The Potter's House. His entire life has been in ministry, leading churches, as well as many different creative stops along the way, including New York Times bestselling author, film producer, television host. He has spent his life helping people step into their destiny and follow their instincts. We recorded this podcast virtually, but don't think we didn't talk about food. In fact, that's how we start the conversation and end it, as it should be. Please join me for this timely conversation on race, riots, and reinvention with Bishop T.D. Jakes. Bishop Jakes, thank you so much for joining me. It is a pleasure to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it. As am I. As am I. Normally, we would be dining together at your favorite restaurant. <laughs> That'd um, be a lot better, wouldn't it? <laughs> it probably would, but we're going to make the best of it. We're going to make the okay. best of this. Um, you know, you're originally from West Virginia. And yes. I think some of our uh, most memorable moments of our life are around food. So do you have any, to start us off, do you have any food memories about growing up in West Virginia that you could share? 
Well, the interesting thing about that is my mother is from Alabama. My father's from Mississippi. Mm. So even though I grew up in West Virginia, I grew up with a very Southern cuisine and a background that centered around um, Southern cooking and Southern living, and then added a little Appalachian flair to it as well. (laughs) So it's kind of very eclectic. Uh, uh, But I loved being in West Virginia. There were... uh, there was a simplicity to the life there. Mm-hmm. Um, the kinds of foods that people shared uh, often came out of the garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were very Before fresh. it was farm to table. It was really farm to table. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I participated in both parts, uh, processes, the growing of vegetables and, and the cooking of them as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have a lot of fond memories of uh building family around food and fellowship and festivities and then culturally <laughs> black people uh celebrate food around everything when a baby's born we have food when somebody <laughs> dies we have food when you have a holiday we have food so yes. uh so that's kind of our tradition yeah there is something really powerful and something really uniting about sitting down and breaking bread especially when it's someone that you've never met I really, that's kind of the the whole point of To Dine For. Um, It's also, this program is about uh, creators and dreamers and people who reinvent themselves. And that's why I specifically wanted to talk to you, because um, your entire career, your entire life, all of your books, or I should say, I shouldn't say all of them, but many of them center around this concept of reinvention. And at this time in our country, when so many people are out of work, when so many people are hurting and not knowing which way to go, I wanted to see if you could share a word about this concept of reinvention. Well, you know, uh, I grew up in the 60s and necessity was the mother of invention. Mm. And uh, when people ask me what my father did for a living, it's always difficult to answer because he did so many different things. Mm. And uh, I think it has necessitated, the times then necessitated reinvention. And I grew up in the culture of not necessarily expecting a job to be the major focus of uh, how you survive. Mm. And uh, What do you mean by that? Well, entrepreneurship. Uh, was a critical part of it. Uh, discrimination necessitated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became a way of life for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to interject that reinvention can often be self-discovery. Mm-hmm. To discover that there's more in you than what you've done before and to have the courage to explore mm-hmm. other aspects of yourself and not allow yourself to be defined by what you used to do. Mm-hmm. I often say people like to describe you and uh, say, for instance, T.D. Jakes is a preacher. They, that's true. But they put a period where God put a comma. Mm. And uh, as you go along life, you discover things and interests about yourself. And having the courage to explore those things can uh, cause you to be able to uh, procure different aspects and, and uh, different dimensions of yourself that you never discovered before. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage your audience to have the courage the absolute courage to explore the fact that maybe some of your hobbies might end up being uh, a business, Uh, that some of your interest might lead to informing you to the point that you can launch in a different aspect of of a career. Uh, I've done television. I've done films. I've produced films over the years. I have a production company. 
uh, that that does films and entertainment. I didn't start out like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't come from the background. I didn't go to school for that. But it started with church plays and then taking plays on the road. And then somebody saw a play and wanted to make it into a movie. And and it's funny how things evolve, much mm-hmm. like we evolve in the womb. Uh, careers evolve and one thing leads to another. And they evolve at the pace of our willingness to explore new relationships. Mm. And our willingness so as, to grow. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get around people who help you see yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who, uh, Ruben Cannon came to me, we were doing a play in California and he said, I want to make a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and initially put it on television. And, and that was all we were going to do was going to do a television show. And then, uh, we entered it into the Santa Barbara film festival and won the film award. Mm-hmm. And so we said, Oh, this is the show. It's <laughs> movie so then we took it you know (laughs) it's you would like to say that you planned it right but in reality you 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 evolve into it and you rediscover it and it's it's much about being willing to explore new relationships as it is new occupation Mm -hmm. in your book destiny and in your book about instinct uh Mm -hmm. you talk deeply about finding everyone has a chance to find a purpose and a mission and and that is unique to them and you've kind of hinted at it with what you just said um for folks who are feeling lost and uncertain um and my gosh who isn't feeling uncertain right now um (laughs) but but especially when it comes to their direction of their life what 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 advice can you give them about leaning into those interests, leaning into what's possible for their life beyond what they can see? I think that there are clues inside of us, uh, like our passions often lead us to our purpose. Mm -hmm. Those passions and uh, passions of interest that are positive passions, as well as negative passions, like if you can't stand disorder, maybe you should be in administration, you know, because uh, if you're always saying somebody ought to do something, maybe you are the somebody. Ooh, I like uh, that. Yeah, that discontent, maybe you should do something about some with that discontent. Yes, because that's yeah. passion to fix it. And I think that's a significant part of self-discovery. And then, then not being afraid to go into a venture that doesn't succeed is important Mm -hmm. because uh, everything you explore doesn't end up being fruitful, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be learned from even the things that, that don't succeed. Mm -hmm. They, uh, they give you another experience. They give you another talking point. Uh, They cause you to be introduced to another sociological construct of people mm-hmm. uh it broadens you it's like traveling abroad mm-hmm. uh when you travel abroad your your whole perspective of the world changes absolutely yeah absolutely. it <laughs> yeah. certainly does it certainly does yeah. um you know you you had said that you know discrimination is part of what fuels entrepreneurship because when you don't get an opportunity or you're rejected from an opportunity, you create your own. Exactly. I think right now at this moment in time, a lot of people are being quote unquote rejected or not given opportunities because there's simply a scarcity. Um, Right. But this, as you said, is the opportunity, regardless of who you are, to create your own opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. The unfortunate thing 
And it seems like it wouldn't be unfortunate. If you're not accustomed to struggle, uh, a lot of times you haven't been trained to scratch. Mm, what does that mean? Uh, to scratch, to explore, to uh, take multiple jobs, to do what you have to do like my father did to make ends meet. Yes. You've never had to do that. The, the, your parents didn't model that in front of mm-hmm. you. And, and I have been thinking a lot about uh, the difference between mentoring and modeling. Mm-hmm. And mentoring has become quite popular and it's important and it's significant. It's a great thing to have. But I find as I deal with people that what's been modeled in front of you is, is more impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father modeled entrepreneurship and self-reliance and creating your own way and forging your way through. What my mother was a school teacher. So, yeah. you know, uh, she, 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 her emphasis was on book reading and academics, his emphasis was on entrepreneurship and scratching mm-hmm. and, and struggle teaches you to scratch. And it's odd when you look at the stats in America right now, some of the people who have the least opportunities are the most optimistic. Uh, and it seems really uh, counterintuitive to the stats. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it doesn't mean that that things look brighter. It's just that they're more accustomed to scratching mm. than people who are first-time strugglers. Yes. And you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And it's very clear that the struggle, if you have never experienced real struggle and then something like this slaps you across the face, you're yeah. not going to fare so well. You really need to dig deep. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's startling. It's depressing. Uh, and you will never find your passions depressed. Mm. So you have to get out of the depression in order to discover the the passion. And how do you do that? If someone is in that depressed state and they're 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 they so want to walk across that bridge to from what mm-hmm. you're saying to where they want to be, what what should they do? I, in my own life, I have learned that you never overcome depression looking backwards. Mm. Uh, that you have to look forward because looking forward gives you hope mm-hmm. and and hope builds faith mm-hmm. and faith turns into works and uh, you become a lot more effective. Uh, the quickest way to heal from the struggle of what went wrong is to imagine what could go right. Mm-hmm. And uh, that hope is an anchor for the soul. It uh fortifies you it gives you a goal it gives you uh enthusiasm and then to point your energies towards your hopes and not your horrors Mm. uh because depression puts all of your energy into what went wrong Mm -hmm. and whatever we put our energy into we fuel it you know right so if you've been through a divorce and you keep thinking about what you had and and what you went through and what happened and how hurt you are, you're actually fueling your pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that you have to uh, get to the point that you start thinking, I'm going to live again. I'm going to take up a hobby. I might meet somebody. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to dress up. Look at how much more positive that he is yes. and invigorating. So that's throwing your energy forward rather than than backwards. And I think it really helps people to reinvigorate themselves that uh, our country, um, interestingly enough, has faced many horrors, mm. even though this generation has not. Right, right, uh, right. Our, right. <laughs> That's the <laughs> truth. See, this generation was, uh, especially 
uh, people uh, under 40 or 50 were born at a time that the country was on an upswing. Mm -hmm. But those of us who are just a decade or so older remember the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement and the country on fire and the political terrain tempestuous. And so where we are right now smells familiar. And uh, and although it is for me, it's disheartening that it smells familiar because you thought you wouldn't see that again. Mm -hmm. But it is familiar enough to give you a point of reference that says we survived that. We survived the depression. Right. We we survived the civil war. Uh, we we survived so many things. Spanish Revolution. We we went through so many things to get to where we are, and and plagues and diseases. And uh, I can remember I was born on the tail end of everybody talking about polio. And it was like a dread disease. And, and, and we made it through that. We'll have more on this conversation in just a moment. But first, To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. You know, you are leading this massive church in Dallas. I'm wondering you know, we're facing as a country this cultural reckoning that's been going on for a long time. This isn't new. Black Lives Matter movement is not new. Right. <laughs> Newsflash. Right. Um, right. <laughs> but the question is, you know, what are we going to do with this renewed sense of energy and purpose and direction and anger and uh, willingness on uh, some people just joining the party to 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 want to do something, to want to change what are you and how are you leading your congregation? How are they doing in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement? And what are you saying to them at this moment? I try not to get too deeply into politics, but I do focus on policies. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I'm saying this is interesting saying to my congregation because right now I kind of don't have one. We're streaming online. That's the only way we connect with uh, each other. Our, our doors are closed, but our hearts are That must are be open. strange for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a different time. Yeah. Absolutely different. But whether I'm doing interviews, which I often do, or speaking to the nation or leaders or, or CEOs, other pastors, or, or, or I get an opportunity. I'm blessed with an opportunity 
to have a plethora of diverse relationships through which I can ventilate my ideas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that the protesting that was done was heartening and encouraging from the perspective, even though the impetus was horrifying, Mm -hmm. uh, George Floyd, but it brought attention to the underbelly of this country in a way that I have never seen, not even in the 60s. Really? No, because uh, in the 60s, you did not see that many white people marching with black people about the causes of the 60s. Mm. The first time I saw that, I cried. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah. To be believed. And seen. And seen and heard. Up until then, whenever you brought up uh, any racial problems in mainstream America, you were met with your race baiting. Uh, You know, this is America. Uh, look at Oprah Winfrey and Will Smith, and, and they named five people. The very fact that you can name the amount of Black people who have succeeded <laughs> in this country out of 40 million people uh, alone, that's a problem. Okay. Houston, you, you, you we have a problem. You name the, yeah. the amount of white people that succeeded in this okay. country. But anyway, uh, I was hardened by the fact that we were heard in a way that an abused child is hardened by the fact that somebody believed them. Mm. And that's what that said to me. You believe me. Mm. And then everybody, the the protesting turned into uh, uh, violence and and that sort of thing, which I think is a distraction. Mm -hmm. And America loves distractions Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we grab the distraction Mm -hmm. and leave the point behind. Yes. And uh, and and I think that there is. But 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 now we're at the tipping point. And that is to go from protesting to policy. And those policies, when you deal with the diminishing of qualified immunity is what I'm looking for for police officers. It's the most unregulated profession with so much power of any other. If if a doctor goes rogue or does bad surgeries, we have an immediate recourse. You see, if a pilot comes to work drunk, we have an immediate recourse. And nobody says, oh, you don't like airlines (laughs) or you don't like medicine. But now the notion of bringing some regulation to police officers has been politicized to the point that it is suggested that you don't love police officers. I have police officers in my congregation. I have their police officers that are black, white, and brown. This isn't about colors. It's about correctness. Mm-hmm. And there is no standard. Uh, the second point is that there is no standard across the nation out of 18,000 police departments where they are all trained the same way. Right. It varies. That needs to be corrected. It varies drastically. So if we deal with the qualified immunity and we deal with the fact that there is no consistency across the nation, by, uh, and it's going to take federal politicians, state politicians, and municipal uh, to really bring the correction that needs to happen. If we deal with those things and we begin to really get down into the trenches of training, where there is a stabilized training, it's point three that I think needs to be put in place, training to de-escalate. We've got young boys and young women who take these positions, very little training on de-escalation, a lot of on how to shoot. And and when all you, when the only weapon you have is a hammer, everything you see is a nail. Mm. And mm. Uh, and so we 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 need to move beyond that. And I think finally, we should take a note from the playbook of the Catholic Church, 
when they discovered that they had priests that were abusing children, at first they moved the priests from place to place. Mm-hmm. They Then when they were called on the carpet, they had to develop a policy that did not allow the priest to move to another parish mm-hmm. and recreate the same trauma. Right. That's all we need for the police officers. Right. We don't want them moving to another precinct and, pre- and recreating the same yes. problem. A, a doctor couldn't do that. A pilot couldn't do that. Why can a police officer do mm. that? I, I can imagine, um, you know, every community, I'm in Chicago, right? So I'm right downtown Chicago. So I'm a block from the looting. You know, I'm like my, my entire neighborhood was, was destroyed. I mean, every building, oh, wow. every, every business smashed. Um, the protesters every. So I think um, it's so easy to be removed from it in parts of the country where you see it on TV and you see the protesters just on an image on a TV. But to be right there with it, with the people and and to to feel it and to let it hang in the air, um, it, it, it it I'm processing it, I think, in a different way if um, I, I was in a different part of the country. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's interesting that you say that you've never seen anything quite like it in your lifetime as mm-hmm. far as uh, the galvanizing impact of what that video of George Floyd did. Imagine if we didn't have that video. I yeah. mean, imagine yeah. if we just found out what happened to George Floyd and we had a, witness accounts of what happened, but we right. didn't have that image that image yeah. is what brought people to that moment to see it, to, to sit there with him as he died, as he was killed. And so yeah. I, I, always, I often think about the power of images and the power of video to change hearts. A couple of things come to mind. Uh, in the 60s, what did that was Emmett Till's mother making the decision to have an open casket funeral and let America see what her son looked like. Mm. It, it changed the narrative. Mm. It, it destroyed willful blindness because when you are not touched by it directly, you can be willfully blind and choose not to see, choose not to look. Mm-hmm. But when you're confronted and it's all over your TV set or it's on the cover of magazines uh, or the charred bodies of those uh, three black girls coming out of, the church in the 60s, mm-hmm. all of that made America have to admit we have a problem. Mm-hmm. Today, that's on video. And I want to address another point because people so often say, if Black Lives Matter, then why don't you crowd about inner city violence and gang violence? And the first answer is we absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't get heard and it doesn't always get picked up, but we absolutely do. Nobody wants to be mugged or killed, whether you're black or white. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somebody has to, just because I'm black doesn't mean I want to be mugged. Uh, so so we have the same feelings that, that anybody else does about wanting to raise our children in safety. I don't want my child shot because uh, they just happen to be walking down the sidewalk. But in most communities, when unrest breaks out, you dial 911 and you call the police and they are help. Mm-hmm. But when your help might shoot you as quickly as your problem, mm-hmm. there's no one to call. Right. And I think one of the reasons that you see the rioting and the looting 
It is coming from voiceless people who feel unheard Mm -hmm. because people who can interview with you Mm -hmm. would have no need to, to loot and do violence and cause destruction. It's like, you won't listen to me. It's like a child having a tantrum. You, I can't be heard. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. I don't like this. And that desperation the funny thing, if we end the looting and the violence and we don't solve the problem that created it, mm-hmm. it's counterproductive. I think we should do both. Mm-hmm. I think we should end the looting and the violence, keep the peaceful protesting. But I think we, even with the protesting, if we put in the policies, there'd be nothing to protest about. Right, right. You know? Bishop, you take a concept, a very simple concept, and you can write an entire book about it and really explain it to people in such a way that they it impacts their own life, you know, whether that's just this concept of instinct. You you made reference to the fact that you've you've been thinking a lot about mentoring and modeling. Is this did you just drop a hint of your next book? Or is this, <laughs> is this no. something that you, that you are trying to flesh out? Or I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what is on your radar right now, uh, given all that you've accomplished, given leading your, your church in Dallas? Just wondered what's on your radar and what's got you excited and what's got you going? I'm about to release a book called When Women Pray. Mm. Yeah. Tell me more. Uh I think it is very timely. I took 10 biblical characters of women who changed the world, uh, not by what they said, but on their knees. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was a timely uh, book to share uh, because women are moving into positions of power like never before. Mm -hmm. And and I clapped for that. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. As do I. Uh, Being being (laughs) raised by a smart woman, I never thought it... it, uh, counterproductive to have women in positions of of power and influence, you know, Mm -hmm. so I I think that's wonderful. But with that power and with that influence comes an unprecedented stress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, There's a reason that men die at earlier ages than women. There's a reason that we have heart attacks and we develop uh, proclivities and bad habits. It's a pressure. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when women pray, uh, the old adage, he who rocks, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, prayer has become uh, the substratum, maybe in my life because of my grandmother and my mother and my wife and now my daughters. I'm surrounded by praying women. Mm-hmm. And, and often uh, many of my successes might be more the result of their prayers than my competence. <laughs> <laughs> That might be the real reason uh, of, of why I did it. But I, as they move into the upper echelon of society, uh, being armed with some ventilation for the soul, uh, the problem with power is is finding partners mm. to help you carry the weight of it. Mm-hmm. And, and often there's not much trust up high. Mm. And uh, prayer becomes... Uh, the confidant and the confessional for the human soul. It ventilates us. It eases our strife and gives us an assurance that there is a master plan and that we are not alone. Mm. And so I'm I'm doing that right now. Oh, that's fascinating. There there is really something to the that concept because you know growing up, I think about some of the people that I admire um, and that I loved. 
You know, I thought, you know, Matt Lauer was just a phenomenal interviewer. I, mm -hmm. you know, thought Bill Cosby was one of the funniest men I'd ever seen and so talented. Um, uh, you know, wanted to work at CVS and, you know, everything. Charlie Rose was like an icon. And so many people, and I, I'm just naming a few, there's thousands more I could go on. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, in the past 10 years, it has come to light. So many people have disappointed us that have been heralded in positions of power and have been put on pedestals and uh you feel in a way you wonder who can you believe who can you trust who is who is true who is real mm -hmm. and i think um you know that is when you really have to go back to who are you and mm -hmm. who are you going to model in the world and who are you going to be and mm -hmm. it's it's not about looking out at other people and and putting anyone on a pedestal but it's looking in and trying to do the best job you can do every day you you know uh i, I think it goes to something deeper uh the culture of corruption that goes along with power is not addressed in universities mm. so you can have talent and not have the escalating character to fit the environment that you evolve into. Mm, and America good. has a tendency to love the power and then destroy the person in it. Uh, the power itself corrupts, and then we we destroy them without studying what is the propensity that creates it. Mm. Uh, look at Whitney Houston. Look at uh, so many other. It's not a gender-specific issue. No to hit the stage and explode right. either into drugs or substance abuse or uh, so so I don't those people who victimize are often victims too mm -hmm. and I think that we have to find a way to heal people rather than discard them once we find something about them mm -hmm. uh because it could be you next you right. know it, one yes. one incident and an emotional chaos can send you somewhere you don't be right and and i think that we we throw too many people away when we discover that they are not uh divine mm. uh that, that they, they are, are human, human. Yeah. Yeah, human yeah, too, yeah just like us <laughs> yeah, yeah we I, kill them for I, being like us right yeah. I, I i think i heard the quote that says talent takes you where character cannot sustain you sometimes yes and yes. uh and i think that you know the the longer I live and the more I see, and I think that become kind of plays out. You know, it is a universal human experience. It and, is. Yeah. And what you're talking is the concept of redemption and the concept of not throwing away people who have made mistakes. Um, yeah. We have a couple more minutes, and I'd love for you to talk about your favorite restaurant and what you'd like to order. <laughs> I know that's a complete <laughs> departure from the very that, heavy that, that and heady really conversations we're having. Right now, it's hard in Dallas because first, let me brag on my city. Yes. I live in Dallas uh -huh. and it's like, believe it or not, it's not known for it, but it is actually one of the restaurant capitals of the world, at least pre-COVID. There are so many great restaurants here, but but one close to my house, I really, really support because it is one of my favorite restaurants close to the house is Mercury's at Chop House. Mm. And uh, and what do you order? You can't go wrong. <laughs> I mean, you cannot go wrong. Uh, there's a there's a, a, a tuna 
tartar dish that they serve that's absolutely amazing. Uh, there's a steak that they do with some sort of sauce over it that is spicy and mm. and really, really good. I mean, you can't go wrong. They do seafood. They do everything. And they're on the roof of an office building. And uh, it, the view is amazing. I know all the waiters by name, you know. They think I work there. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they bring the drink I want before. I, I mix this uh, iced tea and pineapple juice, which is my own kind of invention. They, they just bring it to the table when they see me come in because they know that's what I'm doing. So they add. know you and they know the hosp- the hospitality is part of the reason why you love it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, the, the old song, I can't think of the, the movie right now. You want to go where everyone knows your name. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, yes. yeah thank you. Yeah. You and Norm. <laughs> yeah, we, and this is what makes the pandemic so, so bad. We are wired to need community mm-hmm. and to feel like we belong mm-hmm. and to feel the sense of family. Yes. And I think that is uh, so important to, to who we are. Uh, as a person, uh, one of the uh, it's it's one of the reasons I I cook is because it's it builds family, it builds uh, it's therapeutic. Oh, for, for I agree. Thing. Yeah, it's therapeutic. I also you, hear it, you're an amazing baker. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I do. You know, in a non-professional way, but I, yeah. I I bake a lot, and people go nuts and they want my recipes here's the funny thing i like for them to see what i make but i really don't like to give away my recipes i don't know why they can google it and find it but i I just you know it's like if i give away my secret i lose my uniqueness but (laughs) that's a goddamn truth it's petty pray for me but uh (laughs) but when you're in the kitchen and you're trying to be careful that you beat after each egg and that you cream that you've got the butter salt and the eggs at room temperature and, and that you you do whatever it requires you can't think about uh racism and politics and right you're in the moment sickness and disease or anything like that you have to focus and for me that's my hawaii and then my kids that's when i cook hawaii. all the kids come over they come running over even if they don't stay they come and take have the cake and leave you know and uh, so i don't really cook it to eat it i i, I cook it for bringing joy to people yeah a sense yeah. of productivity and a sense yeah. of joy yeah. yeah yeah all of that all of that's it well i love that you said that's my hawaii that's a vacation for you to yeah. be able to do that that that's a, that's a really amazing thought i love that well yeah Bishop Jakes, I can't thank you enough for this time today. I really appreciate it. I I am looking forward to someday dining with you at Mercury Chop House. Let's do that. <laughs> okay, Let's okay. Is it a deal? We'll have a good time. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Great to Thanks. see you. Blessings Thanks to you. Thank you, Blessings. Bishop. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at to dine for TV and Facebook at to dine for with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of to dine for the podcast, American national and spiritless special. Thank you to producer and sound editor, John Golner to the loyal followers of this program. Cheers. Stay hungry and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.